Welcome to my party, we're just getting started A life is a dream or a nightmare scarring Hand me a drink cause I think I'm going all in Hey everybody, welcome back to the Red, Orange, and Blue Podcast I am your host, as always, the Mexanadian And we've got, once again, another hockey-heavy topic for you Because that's the only season we're talking about right now Because, uh, once again, fuck the Pistons So, today we're going to be talking about, obviously, the Red Wings And their last week pretty much, uh, which was a, it was a week, um, Detroit, if you guys don't know, played against Edmonton, Vancouver, and Calgary in the last week, um, and it didn't necessarily go their way, so we're gonna get into it first, I wanna say, uh, Fabry was not in, did not play with the team in Edmonton or Vancouver, he became a brand new dad, so I will now dub the Daddy Fabry. Anyways, uh, we're going to get into this shortly, but I do want to shout out uh, my Twitter at the underscore Maxinadian because it is fantastic. And if you guys don't know, that is where I post uh, any updates involving me and sometimes the podcast. If you guys want to follow the podcasts at R-O-R-B-Pod, um, that's where I post polls for the prospect reports. Uh, I post updates on the podcast itself, and just in general, that's where you can find anything related to the podcast, and like I said, my personal Twitter is just incredibly comical, and I want you guys to follow it, because I think you deserve it. I also want you guys to follow it, because clout. Um, No, I'm just kidding, I don't care if you guys follow it or not, Uh, but regardless, we're going to get right into it with the Edmonton game, and boy oh boy was this a game. Uh, this is a game that I think the Wings would be, I think the Wings were happy with, more or less, regardless of the outcome. Obviously, they're not happy with the outcome, but with how they played. Uh, but first, we got to start it off with Huso getting injured. Um, so, Huso, this was Huso's first game back from his last injury that he got in early December. And he looked good. He looked sharp. He looked like Billy Huso of the first half of last year. But unfortunately, he got injured on the uh, first goal, I believe, from Edmonton. He overstretched, and it just didn't look comfortable for him. So he's currently week to week. I hope he can come back soon. The poor man, man, he he had a child, came back for like two, three weeks, got injured, came back, got injured again. This man just cannot catch a break. So, and he's looks good. Like, a lot of people keep shitting on Huso because of how badly he started this year. But I, I have yet to see any of those people acknowledge how good he started getting after he came back from Sweden. After he came back, right before his injury. Like, he played really well uh, right before his injury. Then, like I said, he got injured, came back. He looked fantastic almost in this game. Yet he got injured again, so it sucks for Huso, and I do believe he's returning to form. Is if he could just stay in the games longer, um, yeah. Huso got injured. Lion came in, and things got ugly. Um, we're gonna get into the goals too. Obviously, the first one where uh, Huso injured himself. I believe it was either the first or the second one. I can't remember, but regardless, Leon Dreisaitl scored his 25th of the season. Then CC scored his first career goal. I think um, it was at least it was his first of the season. 
And it was 2-0 Edmonton, 11, 11 minutes in. But then on the power play, Dabrinkit, and that's his 19th of the season. It was a beautiful, beautiful feed from Kane. Um, bringing, making it 2-1 Edmonton going into the second. Going into the second, Evan Bouchard. Uh, oh, by the way, I should mention, I'm going to mention the assists on this too. The first one was Darnell Nurse and CC uh, for Dreisaitl. Second one on CC's goal was Nurse and McDavid. Uh, Evan Bouchard gets makes it three to one from Nugent Hopkins and McDavid. Then Joe Valeno gets his tenth of the season, becoming the eleventh Red Wing to hit double digit goals this season from Sprong and Debrinket. Kane that's his eighth of the season from Comfort and Perron, tying it three three going into the third. Uh, Holloway gets his third of the season from Bouchard and McDavid. Then Nugent Hopkins scores, making it five to three from McDavid and Bouchard. Then Zach Hyman scores, making it six to three from Dreisaitl. Uh Then Evander Kane scores, making it 7-3 from McDavid and DR, uh, DeHarnay. Then Perron scores, making it 7-4, giving us all some minor form of hopium. And then Nugent Hopkins scores from McDavid. Uh, so if you guys weren't keeping track, I said McDavid's name six times. And that's because McDavid proved in this game, he just decided he was going to prove to everybody why he was the best player in the entire world. And I got to say, he beat the Red Wings. Um, Because make no mistake about it, if McDavid wasn't in this game, it wouldn't have been 8-4. I think that if this was a McDavid-less Edmonton Oilers, Detroit probably would have won this game. Because they play good. Like, there is not a single person on this planet that watched that game and didn't think Detroit played as good as they could against Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. And, like, because, I mean, I've seen people saying that, but I don't know if you can legitimately say that. I don't know if that is something you can say with at me and believe it yourself, because I can't. I cannot genuinely sit here and tell you that Detroit played bad in any of these games, really. This was just a case of Connor McDavid being the best player in the world and proving why he's the best player in the world, because there was absolutely no possible way that that Evander Kane goal should have happened, because... Cider was on McDavid all night. Like poor, poor Cider, dude. He was on goal. He was on the ice for like seven of the goals against. Um, and a lot of people were, per usual, using that to say he's a bust or he's a bad defender, stuff like that, which is just absolutely, completely untrue. And we talked about that in the last episode. But in case you guys missed it, Moritz Cider is the best defenseman on the Red Wings and one of the best defenders in the entire league. He just doesn't get as much coverage as like Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, uh, Adam Fox, Quinn Hughes, and Adam Fox do because a Quinn Hughes can't play defense. B Kale McCarr is probably the best defenseman in the entire world. And C Adam Fox is an incredible defenseman, is incredible offensive defenseman with some decent defensive capabilities. And Slater doesn't get any of that praise because he's not on the scorecard nearly as much as any of those guys, which is, and I'm pretty sure I covered this, but I'm going to go over it again, and I'm, I've, I've talked about this numerous times on this podcast already, I'm fairly certain, but as a defensive defenseman, there is nothing in the word defenseman that says you need to be putting up that many points. The word defenseman is literally telling you that you are there to play defense, not be a fucking forward. Now, yes, I know in today's hockey and NHL, you expect production and points and offense from your from the back end, and that's fair, you know. You've got, obviously, there's still more enough, more than enough room for your defensive defenseman. Oli Mata has proved that this season and last, but 
there is plenty of there the whole thing of you being a good defenseman correlates with how many points you have is so dumb. It is so incredibly dumb. Because the whole point of being a defenseman is to make sure you do everything in your power to make sure the puck doesn't go at your goaltender. And Sider's done that better than almost every defenseman in the league. And he's done that while getting the hardest minutes of any defender in the league. The only person close to him is Jake Wallman, who, if you guys didn't know, is his defense partner. So it's... I I just don't understand the whole notion behind it, but I've talked about this subject at length. You can go to any other of my podcast episodes and you will see how how much I feel about how passionately I am about this, especially being a defensive defenseman myself. I didn't put up a lot of points when I played. I didn't, it doesn't matter because I'm doing my job defensively and that is my job. My job is not to go up on the rush with the forwards and expect another forward to take my place. That is not my job. So rant over. Uh, we're going to get back into this Edmonton game. And like I said, Connor McDavid proved in this game why he's the best defenseman in the world. Cider on that seventh goal for that Evander Kane netted, Cider did everything in his power to stop McDavid, including taking him to the ground. Yet McDavid still got that fucking pass to Evander Kane. There is, there like... If you or me tried to do that, that's not going anywhere near Evander Kane. That's not even going towards the net. Hell, that's probably on Cider's stick if we tried that. Like, there's, it, it, it's in, it's unfathomable how good Connor McDavid actually is. I just, I, it's, I, it's stupid. Connor McDavid's fucking stupid. That's what he is. He is stupid. He is literally, if you just went into NHL 24, went into custom character, and just pushed all of the dials up to 100 and then like left it like maybe push one or two back so that way it's like 99 so he's not overpowered but like come on you guys it's horrible anyways yeah mcdavid's the best player in the world hands down but this is also another topic of was this lion's worst game and i don't necessarily know if you can put all of the goals on him there were some that maybe you wanted him to stop um but like he wasn't supposed to be in this game. Huso was supposed to be in this game. He wasn't... He he was not the starter of this game. And he definitely probably didn't expect to be coming in seven minutes into the game. That was... Like, he was going into that game lukewarm at best. So, I don't know how much of that I can put on him. I think it's this was literally just a case, and we'll get into this with the Vancouver game as well. This was just a case of... Connor McDavid doing Connor McDavid or being Connor McDavid and just showing why there is not a single player in this league that can stand up to him. Maybe Nathan McKinnon, but Nathan McKinnon is not really a Connor McDavid guy. Nathan McKinnon is just like, he's like a power forward essentially. So I don't know. It's it. I don't think they played bad in this game. And a lot of people I've talked to think they don't think they played bad in the game. It's just, Connor McDavid's Connor McDavid. That's all I can say about this game. Um, and then we get into the Vancouver game. Oh, by the way, the final score was 8-4 to four in the Edmonton game, if you guys didn't know that. But then we go into the Vancouver game where Detroit ends up losing 4-1. to one, And this was another game where Detroit played really well. Now, 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 I know, and we're going to get into it, 
that horrible, horrible seven minutes of power play time that they just didn't do anything with. But we're going to get into that. Um, Because going into the game, it was obvious that this was going that Vancouver was going to be pissed off. They got grittied on the last time they played this, lost in uh, overtime to a penalty shot. So they were going to come into this game hardcore, and they did. JT Miller scored seven and a half minutes in unassisted. Uh, Elias Lindholm scored, and this was like the JT Miller one I can't put on Lion, but the Elias Petter, the Elias Lindholm one, um, it's. I don't know if I full. I don't. I don't fully put it on Lion. Should he have stopped it? Probably. Lion can stop that pretty easily. But at the same time, there was no good reason why Pedersen got that shot off. There's no reason for him to get that shot off. That was the defense. I don't remember who was out at the time. I think it might have been Mata and Ghost. But they let him get so deep into the zone while they were covering him they didn't pressure him at all if they it, I guarantee you if whoever the defense that was on him because I can't remember who it was pressures him just slightly enough then that that's not a goal I can almost guarantee you that if he pressures him enough that gives lion more than enough time to prepare for the shot and that's likely not going in. But instead, what happened, they let him just keep going, keep going, and then they let him basically wind up for the shot and take just a brutal snapshot past line that he wasn't prepared for. So it's it, it's it's an instance where, yes, Lyon probably should have had it, but the defense definitely needed to do something there to keep that from happening. Um, they're going into the second period, Nikita Zadorov, he scores his second of the season from Pedersen and Hoaglander. Uh, it was, I thought it was tipped, but no, it was just a really good screen. Um, and I think that this one, even that, even this one was, uh, I think this was, I don't even think it was the same game now that I think about it, but yeah, it was, it, 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 it was just a nice shot and he was screened. I think that was Petrie who couldn't get the guy out of the way. I think, don't quote me on that. Um, but then JT Comfer, JT Comfer, Mr. 877 goals now gives us some hopium, uh, and makes it 3 1 going it, uh, 14 minutes into the second, going to the third. Vancouver's up 3 to 1. We've seen this before, but unfortunately, Detroit's not able to complete the comeback. Um, and with Elias Lindholm scoring from Elias Pettersson, or yeah, Eli- from Elias Pettersson, my bad. It's so fucking confusing. And it's four to one. Vancouver. Vancouver wins four to one. Um, and this is a oh, this wasn't even the same fucking game. Now that I think about it, of the seven minutes that was uh, that was the last game. Now that I think about it, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting my shit mixed up. I just wasn't. Uh, yeah, that's my bad. Sorry. Anyway, so no, there wasn't seven minutes of brutalness in this game. That was the last Vancouver game. But I don't know why I have that written here. Anyways, uh, yeah, it was another game where Detroit looked good. They looked great in this game, actually. Demko stonewalled the shit out of them, and he's proving why he's one of the best goaltenders in the world. But, yeah, he's he's like... Debrinket should have had like a hat trick in this game. Like it was 
like that's how good Demko was in this game. And they learned they probably couldn't have DeSmith in the game in this game if they wanted to beat the Red Wings. Um so I don't chalk this game up to Detroit playing bad. I don't chalk this up to bad defense either. Uh because it was just a matter of Vancouver being the best team in the league. And that's just a fact. Like the Canucks are legit this year. They are like I mean they're granted they are basically a one-line team. But they are a one-line team that's carried them to the top of the standings, and you can't really. How do you stop that? Like very like that. Like how do you stop that legitimately? You can't. You just can't legitimately stop that. And Detroit learned that today. Uh, not today in this game. Uh, but that. But this whole thing led me to believe and think about what's Alex Lyon's limit. Um. Because he's played a lot in January. He's played all but two. He's, I think the stat was out of the 19 games Detroit's played uh, since whenever it was, uh, Lyon has played in 18 of the 19 of their last 19 games. Like he's played in nearly every game. The only one he didn't play in was the one that Reimer. It was the Toronto game. Or I guess it would be 18 out of 20 now because Reimer played against Toronto and then he played against Calgary um, and then didn't go out at all. But yet Lyon has played a lot of games and it's starting to show a bit, I think. But I think Lyon has the right mentality to not let it get to him and think that and realize that, okay, this team is relying on me to be what I have been all season. And I cannot let this get to me. And him being out for the game in Calgary definitely helped. And Reimer showing that he can take over the net from time to time definitely helped. Um, but this game was it was it it was the definition of the game was closer than the score shows. Uh, Lion didn't necessarily play bad. The defense was pretty strong the entire most of, most if not most of the game except for that Lindholm goal. Um, the offense was there, but they couldn't get past Demko. Like it was just a plethora of the hockey gods frowning upon Detroit. So, but then all is made right in the world when we go into Calgary and oh boy, was this a fun game to watch? Like not that Edmonton and Vancouver weren't fun games to watch. I enjoyed watching them, even though Detroit was getting the shit kicked out of them, but Boy, was this such a fun game to watch because this was a game where you could make arguments that neither team was the better team in this game. Like, these teams seemed not evenly matched because I think that takes away from what Detroit did a bit, but there, you. this was a team of we need to retool versus a team of we're coming out of a rebuild. Like, it's definitely going it, it was definitely fun to watch and it was even better that Detroit won five nothing so we're gonna get into it real quick um Patrick Kane scores his ninth of the season from Cider and Fabry Cider's been real Cider was really able to get some offense going in these last few games um especially in this one he had two assists it was a power play goal beautiful Fabry won the face off got it back to Cider who gave it to Kane one timer from the blue line Right past Markstrom. Markstrom didn't have a good game today. In that, in didn't have a good game either. He did not look like the goaltender that he was billed as going into the game. Um, and it wasn't entirely his fault, mind you. The 
Flames just didn't look... They looked def- almost, not defeated, because they were very much on the Red Wings for a lot of this game, but they looked like they were a bit dissuaded from getting absolutely shit-kicked by San Jose, but we're going to get into that uh, later. So, after that, JT Comfort, literally like a minute later... He scores from Raymond into Brankett. Beautiful feed from Raymond, who did most of the work on this, and Comfort made no mistake and buried it. Um, Markstrom wasn't happy about that one. He was actually pretty upset about that one. Uh, but going into the second, it's 2-0 Detroit. And then five minutes in on the power play, there were a lot of penalties in this game. Like, holy shit, were there so many penalties in this game. Um, there were ten penalties in total in this game. So, on the power play, Larkin gets it from Kane. Another beautiful feed from Kane. Kane just has this way of, like, it's almost like he's got future sight, almost. Like, I'm convinced he's got, like, clairvoyance or something because he seems to know what's going to happen while he's got the puck. And it's it's incredible to watch him play, too, because whenever he gets the puck... Every team just that he's against just doesn't know what to do. They're dumbfounded because they've got this notion in the back of his head, like, okay, this is Patrick Kane. He's one of the best, one of, if not the best playmaker in the entire history of the NHL. And we, we don't know what he's going to do. Do we pressure him? Well, if we pressure him, then he's going to make a move to somebody to get the pressure off of him. And then they're just going to give him the puck right back. It's just going to be an endless cycle. And then somebody's going to be out of position and then boom, score. Or do we just sit here and wait and try to block the pass that he's going to make? But if we fail, like, it is so incredible watching him just confuse the shit out of people, out of guys, when he's literally just standing there stick-handling. And you can see his brain going to work. His brain is going, like, is working a million miles an hour while his body's doing the same thing. It is so incredible to watch him work. Um, So he just... He gets it to, he throws it right to Larkin. Larkin banks it in on the power play. Beautiful setup and goal. Um, And then Perron, not even a minute later, uh, gets his 12th of the season from Kopp and Valeno. That was a beautiful play as well. And then probably the best play of the game, once again, from Lucas Raymond, who takes it from the blue line, goes in, uh, I think he did it from the wings blue line. Goes into the zone, tries to break through the fence, can't break through the defense, gets the puck back in the corner, goes around the world once. Calgary's defense just stood there. Markstrom got pulled, by the way, after the Perron goal and Vladar was in. Um, Calgary's defense just stood there and let him do whatever the fuck he wanted to. Goes in, shoots it, beats Vladar clean. Beautiful play. And fucking Raymond with another goal of the year contender for the Red Wings. Like, it is, like, this, he's good, you guys. He's just good. And while his goal scoring hasn't been there, the dude is killing it on the assist. Like, he's becoming an incredible playmaker. Uh, Like, he's got, what, 29 assists on the season now? 44 points. He's on pace for, like, 70-something points this season. So, it's, like... I, I make I made the comparison a little bit that he could be a, a Perron replacement, but that's that's like the minimum of what he could be. Like I think that Lucas Raymond has the potential to be like a be a Patrick Kane. 
Like, I genuinely think he has that ability. Lucas Raymond has an incredibly underrated playmaking ability, and people don't understand that. Like, they look at the goals and think, oh, he's not scoring, so it was a wrong decision to take him in the top 10 in that draft. But when you look at his assists, like, you can tell he's on the score sheet a lot. Like, whenever there's a goal and Raymond's out on the ice for it, there's almost a 100% chance he was involved somehow, some way. Like, whether it was a primary, a secondary assist, or if it was just the work he put in on the boards and a puck battle to get it back to the defense and stuff happened from there and he doesn't score up, show up on the score sheet. Like, Raymond has evolved this season, and he's only, what, 21, 22? Like, he's going to get so much better, and it's so fun to watch. Um, and on top of that, James Reimer, like, is this a redemption tour? I doubt it because he's likely not going to play again for another five games, but he looked good. Like he was shaky at the start of the first period, uh, let up some bad, uh, let up some bad rebounds as he does, uh, wasn't tracking the puck incredibly well, but he settled in, got confident as shit in the net. And he made some incredible saves that kept this shootout, the shutout alive for him, and kept Detroit on. The, he saved Detroit. He saved the team a few times, and he just looked good. He looked like the James Reimer of old. Like he looked like the James Reimer that Toronto drafted. He looked like the James Reimer that he was billed as, and. He just looked good. I can't. I can't say anything else. He just looked good. Granted, he did almost give himself fucking concussion, uh, in like the last minute and a half of the game. But yeah, he looked good. Um, and another thing that I think contributed to the game was the lawns line blending. Um, when I saw the lines and seen that he split up the Rasmussen cop Fisher line and then put Rasmussen on the top line with Debrinket and Larkin put Perron on the third line and then had uh Fisher centering the bottom line with Fabry and Sprung I think it was like it was interesting um because I didn't it, it just looked like Lond like he did throw it in a blender and then just threw it at the wall and whatever stuck stuck like that's and just hoped it would stick essentially because I looked at them like Valeno on the wing and Fisher on the Fisher on center like that doesn't make much sense why would you put Rasmussen on the top line and then have Larkin have uh, Comfer Kane and I actually think Fabry was on the second line if I'm not mistaken uh, let me double check that real quick I'm not uh, 100% sure on that. Got a... There it is. Uh, No, okay, it was... The lines were Larkin, Kane, Rasmussen, which was weird. Um, Comfer, Raymond, Debrinket, Cop, Perron, Valeno, Fisher, Sprong, Fabry. So, yeah, those were lines. I looked at that and I'm like, what in the actual flying fuck is Lalonde thinking? Why would you put Rasm like Rasm top line Rasmussen is good like he's I don't th- like I mean even top line Rasmussen is not top line caliber I don't think 
but he, I mean, he looked good in this game, and he made some room for Larkin and Kane, but I don't think he needs to be on the top line with them. I think that top line needs to be either Larkin, Kane, Debrinkit, or Larkin, Debrinkit, Raymond, or Larkin, Kane, Raymond, I think would be good, but I don't think it needs to be Rasmussen. Um, Rasmussen's a good middle six guy, but yeah, I mean, the only thing I think of is that they threw him on there in case they needed another center, because who are you going to throw in there? Because realistically, out of the top six, who are you going to throw in the middle that can legitimately win a face-off? Um, who's normally in the top six, so you take out Rasmussen, put in Prawn. You know, Larkin and Comfort really are the only two centers there. I think Debrinkit's taken some face-offs this year. Raymond's taken a few face-offs, but, you know, there's really nobody else on there that you can confidently say could take face-offs, so maybe that was their thinking. I don't know, but, I mean, and granted it worked. I don't know if it was just because of the... I don't know if it was because of the line changes or if it was because of pure luck or the hockey gods or whatever. I don't know how or why they worked, but they worked one way or another, and you can't be mad at the uh, outcome. So that, with a strong power play and Reimer shutout, made this game fantastic. But what made this game god tier, what made this game one of the greatest games this season was the road octopus on the ice. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, in Calgary's own barn, there was an octopus thrown on the ice, and boy, was that fantastic to see. Now, I know who threw it. Uh, if you guys follow the Wingwheeled podcast, it was one of their patrons and uh, followers and whatnot. They they threw it on the ice. There's a video of, of it on the Wingwheeled podcast at Wingwheeled Pod if you guys wanted to check them out. I highly recommend them. But there's a video up on their Twitter that somebody that they that was taken of uh, of the uh, culprit, I guess you could say. And I say culprit because he was put in the back of a police van afterwards. And while that was all happening, he had to tell he had to discuss uh, he had to tell Calgary security the whole history of Detroit and the octopus and why what it signifies. And at the end of the day, he got away with a $250 ticket and a potential to be banned from Calgary's barn for three years. And boy, oh boy, was this fantastic to see. Like, even Steve Dangle tweeted about it. Like, it was actually a pretty big deal that there was an octopus thrown on the ice um, in Calgary. Like, it was, it was incredible to see. Like, a lot of people talk, like, I think the Steve Dangle podcast talked about it a little while ago about... Uh, how many teams can go on the road to like California and whatnot, and then have hats thrown on the ice for a hat trick for their team? Because um, it happened with Toronto when Austin Matthews scored a hat trick against uh, like LA or San Jose or some West Coast team. And it was, I got like none of them mentioned Detroit, which is interesting to me because aside from Toronto, Detroit's got probably the biggest fan base. Like, Detroit's got... I won't say the biggest because Montreal's pretty high up there and Edmonton as well. But, like, most of the Canadian teams have a really big following. But that's just in Canada. Like, if you go to... Like, not just in Canada because I know the Leafs have the biggest fan base in the world. Like, there's fans all over the world, literally. So, it's like... But 
in terms of fan bases, I don't know how you can ignore Detroit's like global impacts as well. Because I mean, let's face it, Detroit was one of the front runners of. Sorry if you guys can hear in the background. That's my heater because it's gotten insanely fucking cold at my place. Um, but I don't know how you can say Detroit can ignore Detroit when they were one of the leaders, first lead, one of the leaders, legitimately one if not the leader in the league for European talent. Like how many other teams in the league were willing to take shots at? Swedish players, Russian players, uh, you know, just a bunch of Europeans. How many teams can you say were able to do that, you know, were doing that and willing to do that in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s? Like, you you, you just can't say that there were any, there was really any team that took as many swings than Detroit did in many shots. So... Having people, having nobody acknowledge how big Detroit's fan base is, it's just indicative of a larger situation. In that, you know, Detroit has been the Red Wings have been disrespected for a while, and I mean, in the last, you know, seven eight years, fairly so because they've sucked. But even now, as they're a good team that has the potential to make the playoffs, they're in a playoff spot right now. But we'll get into that talk. It is. It is wild that people still refuse to give Detroit their dues. And I can understand hesitation, even from inside the fan base, there's hesitation, because we've been we've seen this before. Like, we were at this point last year that, right, right around, you know, the All-Star break, stuff like that, where Detroit was in a playoff spot. They were in the second wildcard spot, and then, you know, the two games in Edmonton and the Tampa Bay game, which I really think is what spiraled everything, that killed the season and then we were all disappointed because we were all like is this finally the year that Detroit gets to make the playoffs they can finally end the playoff drought and nope it was ruined so it's it, it is wild to see that and I hope that stuff like this happens more and people start to finally realize that yes, Detroit is here. Detroit, no matter how bad they are, still have one of the biggest and most dedicated fan bases in the entire world, and it's it, it, and to stop disrespecting it, like just stop. There is no reason to. Uh, so that is the, the Detroit Red Wings week in review. Um, like I said, all good games on the Detroit side. It was just is when it comes to Edmonton and Vancouver. Edmonton has the best hockey player in the world, and Vancouver is one of the best team. Is literally the best team in the league right now. So, no matter how good Detroit played, it was going to be a long shot for them to win. Um, but some of the takeaways from this week was so like Evander, not Evander Kane. Jesus Christ. Um, Patrick Kane, he came in from an injury, which wasn't hip-related, obviously, uh, before the All-Star break. He came in after the All-Star break and has made an immediate, immediate impact on the team again. Uh, Since coming back, he had an assist in Vancouver, an assist in Edmonton, an assist in the second uh, goal and an assist in the Edmonton game. My bad. Um, A goal, or not a goal, an assist in the Vancouver, in this last Vancouver game, and a goal and an assist in the Calgary game yesterday. And he has, like, that's six points in his last four games. Like, how can you be upset with that? 
And I keep going back to the Mike Gould article that he put out uh, saying how the Kane signing was, as he expected, bad for the Red Wings. And he posted that, like, he wrote that and put it out right as Detroit was, you know, in Detroit's December slump. And it was wild to me because, like, the dude, like, he's an Arizona and Calgary guy, I'm pretty, if I remember correctly. Like, what is he doing talking about Detroit and Patrick Kane? And the thing to that was is he hates Patrick Kane and the Blackhawks. Like, he cannot stand them. And so Detroit is catching strays for it because of it. And he's been real quiet as of late from what I know. I don't know. I don't I, I don't follow him on Twitter at all. Never did in the first place. He just popped up on my feed because everybody else that I follow on Twitter, you know, was retweeting that stuff. So I keep going back to that. And then I keep looking and I'm like, how is that even possible? Like, the dude's got 22 points in 23 games already. Like, he's damn, he's pretty much, he's like a point per game. And we were all concerned on if he was going to be able to return to, like, a quarter of his form. What we're seeing here is Patrick Kane in his, like, not, like, young form, but we're seeing Patrick Kane in Patrick Kane form. Not young Patrick Kane form, but just Patrick Kane form. And it's working out for Detroit. I don't know what else you want anybody to say. He, he He's good. He's Patrick motherfucking Kane. He's the he's got the second most points out of any American born born player in the history of the NHL. Like there's a less th- there's a greater than zero chance that he surpasses Mike Madano. Like it's it like it's incredible. He got like his what was his 900th assist or something like that. Like it was wild. So Patrick Kane has been a revelation for this team and definitely something this team needed to get things going and keep the playoff hopes alive this season. Um, Another thing that helped keep Detroit's playoff hopes alive is Alex Lyon, obviously. And I bring up Alex Lyon, even though we talked about him a little bit, and that is Lyon needs a fucking break. Like, the last game that we... Like, obviously, he got a break against Calgary with Reimer playing, but he needs legitimate help. Um, like, Lion is fantastic. He's a beautiful human being with nothing behind his eyes. But, like, there's nothing going on behind those eyes in between those ears. I'm convinced. He just goes with life, and I love it. But he needs another goaltender behind him that can step in and switch out 1A1B with him. Like, do it well, do I think he needs it? Probably not. But it would be good for him to not have to play this many games in a row. Like I said, he played he played like 18 of their last 20 or something like that. He's played in 18 of the last 20. And you just that is not the recipe to get to even if you make the playoffs to sustain your pressure in the playoffs. You just can't do that. You need in the playoffs. Yes, you need the hot goaltender. We've seen that with Bobrovsky last season. We, you know, we've seen it with eight. We've seen it with Aiden Hill. You do really need and want that one goaltender that just makes your that just makes saves. But we've also seen that you need that second goaltender that can come in for relief uh, once or twice in the round. Like if it goes more than four games. 
then yeah, you definitely need that guy who can go in and take over, you know, game five or something like that. I guess it depends on the record too. But you just you're just not gonna make it with one single goalie. It's like you're not gonna win the cup with two or three players on your team. Like it's just not gonna happen. Um like obviously Bobrovsky did that last season and you can you can legitimately make a run at the cup with just one goaltender. Teams have done it in the past. Uh, Detroit, for example. But in today's NHL, I do genuinely think in order to win it, you need a second goaltender. Um, and that's not even just... Because I get ride the hot hand in the playoffs. Like every team does. But if you're going to do that, you need to be prepared for the possibility they get injured and worn out. And they're going to need at least a game... Like, probably a game to relax and, you know, recuperate. So, like like I said, we've seen it with Florida last season. You know, Lyon went into the playoffs, and uh, I think he played two or three games in the playoffs. Uh, I think he played two games in the playoffs. And then, you know, Bobrovsky came in, went God mode, and killed everybody up until the Stanley Cup, where he just couldn't. Uh, we've seen it with Boston last year as well in that same round. Olmark was in. He was injured, but, you know, they didn't put Swayman in. And I think if they put Swayman in, they would have beaten Florida. So, you know, that's just my two cents. I do understand that you can make a really deep run and potentially win the cup with a really hot goaltender. But I just don't think it's a smart move because then you're going to also be dealing with fatigue and stuff like that. Like you don't get nearly as much time off, so you don't want your goaltender going into next season uh, battered up and bruised and stuff like that and still recuperating from playing 16 fucking games in a row. Like, it's just... It's something to think about. Uh, do I think Huso's that guy? Maybe. Do I think Reimer's that guy? Probably not. But it's just, you know, food for thought, essentially. Um, and one thing that Detroit needs, another thing that Detroit needs to get going is Debrinket. Uh, Alex Debrinket has been snake bitten hardcore. Um, and it sucks because we all know what he's about. We all know what he's capable of. He's got 46 points on the season. He's on pace for the same amount as Dylan Larkin. And it's, you know, he has, I mean, he's put in, not that he's not putting up points. Uh, granted, he does only have, was at three points in his last five games. So, I mean, it's still positive, but boy, does he need to get the easy snake bitten hard. Like I said, in that Vancouver game and in the Calgary game, he was, he should have had like a, he should have had like three or four goals in the Cal in the Edmonton game. And then in Calgary, he got robbed two or three times. Like it's just, I think he, he I mean, he hit the post ones as well. Like it's just, it's sad to see because you know that he like we all know what he is we know he has the ability to score 40 goals in a season he's done it twice in his life he's done it twice in his career he's at minimum a 30 goal scorer and it's just we he's he just can't get it going for whatever reason now i do think that part of that is because you know he's like he's put on a line with Larkin and Raymond or Larkin and Braun stuff like that. I think if you want to get him going, you got to put him on there with Kane. You got to put him out there with Kane. That's just something you have to do if you want to get him going more because 
he and Kane know each other, and Kane has had the ability to get any to allow anybody to score. Uh, we've we've seen that. So get get Kane to bring it back together. Put him on the second line with fucking Raymond and Perron, or hell, with Raymond and Comfort, I should say. Um, put him on. Put them on the top line with Larkin. Put them on the second line with Comfort. Just put them on a line together. I don't even care if they're on the fucking fourth line with Joe Valeno or Christian Fisher centering them. Just put them on a line together, please, for Christ's sake. That was the whole. That was one of the biggest reasons you brought Patrick Kane here, because of his connection with the Brinket. So just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Uh, but with that all said, Detroit still holds the second wild card spot. Uh, they're up on New Jersey by two points. New Jersey gained uh, a good amount of ground with Detroit losing those two games to Vancouver and Edmonton. Um, and obviously the Devils beat Philadelphia because we can't rely on Philadelphia to do fucking anything. So they, the Devils beat Philadelphia. Now the good news is if New Jersey gets going, there's a solid chance that they pass Philadelphia. So all Detroit has to do is get past Philadelphia. And Philadelphia has, you know, they've been good, but they've been on and off, very on and off. You don't know what team you're going to get. Well, you kind of do, but you kind of don't know what team you're going to get. And I think it's very likely that Philadelphia makes the playoffs this season, but it they're not a cup team, so I can see them falling out of the third spot if New Jersey gets going. And then that would drop. All Detroit has to do is surpass Philadelphia's points. Like they were at that for a while before, like before the All Star break, they were ahead of Philadelphia by like four points, something like that. Then Philadelphia came back and went on like a five game win streak or some shit like that. So, you know, it's a tight race in the East, as we all predicted. Uh, As of right now, behind Detroit. Because Toronto just overtook Tampa Bay in the standings. So Tampa Bay is now the first wild card spot with 65 points. Detroit has 62. New Jersey's right behind them with 60. The Islanders are behind them with 58. Capitals right behind them with 56. Penguins with 55. Buffalo 52. Montreal 52. Buffalo and Montreal are tied. That's so fucking stupid to think about. Uh, Ottawa with 46. Columbus with 44. Uh, obviously, Columbus fired their general manager. It was very much a long overdue, and I'm not really going to get into that because that topic's been beat to death by everybody. Just know it was long overdue, and maybe this gets Columbus something. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah. what is, Now we're going to get into the trade deadline. Uh, the trade deadline is coming up, obviously. And there is a lot of talk about the about it and potential trade chips for each team, stuff like that. So we're going to talk about Detroit for a second. And the first thing I want to talk about, which is what a lot of people are talking about, Jonathan Berggren. Does he stay or does he go? Uh, Berggren has made no secret that he believes he should be in the NHL. And there is not a single Red Wings fan that I think will tell you that he doesn't deserve to be in the NHL. As of right now, Jonathan Berggren has 16 goals, 22 assists, 38 38 points at 36 games with the AHL's Grand Rapids Griffins. He's on pace for 28 goals, 39 assists, 67 points in 63 games. That is a bit fucking insane. If anybody says he doesn't belong in the NHL, they are stupid. So what do you do with him? Do you trade him? Do you keep him? I personally, and I think everybody else, 
would love for Berggren to stay here. Um, but he's being wasted in the AHL, and if he wants to play in the NHL, there's a good shot that he requests a trade from Detroit and goes to not even just a contender, maybe just like a Montreal or an Anaheim and gets played, you know? And Berggren, he's not going to be a top six guy ever, but he's a really good middle six guy who has patience and is a he's, he's a playmaker who also knows how to get into the trash areas. He has scored, like if you look at his season last year, he scored, he had like, I think it was what, 15 goals? Yeah, he had 15 goals last season. And most of those were for, uh, were from, you know, the red line in the, from the deep red line. And that was his MO. He's, he was always quiet and the guy that people, teams would forget to cover. Rebounds came out. He would take, they, he would take it, you know, dip it in behind the goaltender and score. That was, that was what he did and he was really good at it. Uh, but I can see a world that, in a fairly likely world where Berggren is in a Red Wing. And that's just business, you know? Do I want Giannis and Berggren to be a Red Wing? Yes, I do. But, Everybody has a price, and if Berggren wants to play in the NHL and Detroit doesn't have the room for him because of their depth, and they haven't had nearly as many injuries as I think they thought they would, um, then, you know, there's a little greater than zero chance that Berggren gets moved to some bar for assets or at the trade deadline for somebody who Detroit could possibly extend as well. So, because uh, personally, if you ask me, I don't think Detroit makes any moves. I don't think Steve Eiserman's making any moves to the deadline. Um, and that's just something. Like, I can see a moving Berger in for draft picks um, because Detroit's not fully out of that rebuild yet. They are moving uh, into that direction fairly quickly, but I don't believe they're fully out of it yet. And Bear, moving Berger in to somebody for him to play in the NHL and get you know, futures back, it's a strong possibility. Now, what's Barakran worth? I don't think he's worth more than a second-round pick, but, you know, I, I mean, he might not even... I, no, I think Barakran's worth a second-round pick. Um, and even then, you know, it could be quite a few picks for Barakran. So, I don't know what his full worth is. I'm not an NHL scout or a general manager for good reason, but... You know, Berggren could bring back a decent little payday for Detroit. Uh, and on top of that, the names that people are throwing out there for Detroit to trade with, because everybody's throwing these names out there, one of them, it, because their team is throwing their names out there, uh, Noah Hannafin. He is, he plays for Calgary. He's got nine goals, 21 assists, 30 points, with a plus 10 this season. And he's a guy that Calgary has been saying, oh, we're looking to trade him. Oh, no, wait, we might still resign. Like, Calgary is so fucking bad at this whole deception thing. So he is a solid... He's a guy. Like, he's a good guy, um, obviously. He shoots left-handed. And he, he... He's a good defenseman. But that's the problem with Hannafin and Tanev. Because... They are defensemen, and Detroit's got a lot of defensemen. 
And most of the defensemen, you can't move. The only defenseman you can really easily move is Olimata, and you don't want to move Olimata, especially not going into the playoffs, because going into the playoffs, you want a stay-at-home defenseman. So who do you, what do you do there? And even then, Detroit, like, they've got such depth on both the, on both forward and defense that it's it's difficult to make any moves in the whether you wanted to or not. Um and I don't think Hannafin or Tanev are the guys because Tanev is what, 35, 34, Noah Hannafin is in his thirties as well. Uh, no, he's twenty seven, my bad. He's the same age as Larkin. Whoops. But like maybe Hannafin, but the caveat is these guys have to come with extensions following. And I don't think that Steve Eiserman is looking for any of these guys realistically because i mean if you look at the blue line you've still got wallman for another two two years after the season you're gonna have cider for likely eight years um you're gonna you've still got Schrott for another two years after this season you've got Oldimata for another year after the season you've got justin hall for another two years after this season you've got jeff petrie for another year after the season like the only player on this team that's likely not going to be here next season in the, on the blue line is Shane Ghost to spare. So I don't know. I don't know what you do there. Um, if anything, and I don't think he's going to do anything. So that's my take on the trade deadline for Detroit. Let me know what you guys think on Twitter. I'm follow me on Twitter at the underscore Maxinadian and the follow the podcast at R O R B pod. Uh, sorry for the complicated handle, but for whatever reason, uh, red, orange, blue pod was already taken somehow. Um, Either that or it was too long. I think it was too long. Don't know. Don't care. Uh, I've double. Don't worry. I've double checked. There is no other podcast that I that I know of that is also called the Red, Orange, or Blue podcast. Um, and if there is, fuck them. It's mine now. So with that being said, we're gonna get into today's this episode's prospect report. And this, pre- if you guys want to vote on the prospect report, I do a poll every Friday before the podcast. And I put up four prospects in Detroit's prospect pool who you, I want who uh, you guys can vote on for me to talk to. And this one is Dmitry Bachelnikov. Dmitry Bachelnikov, he was drafted in 2022, second round, his second round or 52nd overall in 2022 from Detroit. And he's 20 years old, left wing, five foot ten, shoots right, and Russian. That's all you need to know about him. No. Uh, he is a guy that a lot of fans look at as a potential scoring threat. Um, now, he's not going to be a superstar by any means whatsoever, but he's definitely a guy who can play top to middle six minutes and be a threat. Like, he could be another Daniel Sprong. Um, and we've seen what Daniel Sprong has done for Detroit this season. He's another guy that I hope Detroit resigns. But, well, that's, you know, end-of-season content. Uh, but... Yeah, he's currently got in uh, his season this year uh, a lot of points. Um, he's got in total. I'm trying to do the math here because they don't have. He's played in three different leagues, uh, so he's got like forty something points, thirty something points. Yeah, thirty something points. Um, right now, he plays for in the KHL Admiral. Vladov Stock, I think that's how you say it. He's on loan from St. Petersburg. Um, where currently in uh, the Vladov Stock loan, he's got 13 goals, 16 assists, 29 points in 52 games. He's projected to have 14 goals, 17 assists, 31 points in 55 games. So he's projected to have, well, that makes sense because that season's almost over, it looks like. Um, 
But yeah, it's uh, he he's definitely a guy that you should keep your eye on. Um, he's fast and he has the ability to bounce off of his teammates, meaning he can mesh well with his line mates and he's flashy. He's a flashy offensive first guy. What do you expect? Um, so he definitely looks like a guy that Detroit is probably looking at, but obviously with everything that's going on in Russia, like one of the best prospects from uh, last season's draft, 2023 draft, uh, Matvey Mijkov, he isn't playing in the league right now, and a lot of it has to do with everything going in Russia. Russian players are so hard to scout nowadays that it's almost like you're gonna probably you're gonna 100 start seeing a dip in Russian players in the league for a while for a little bit, and that's because a they're hard to scout, and b when they are scouted and drafted, they're very difficult to get out of the country. So, yeah, it's it, it sucks what's going on over there, but. Yeah, Dmitry Pachelnikov, definitely a guy I can see the Red Wings trying to get over here and playing with the team. Uh, but it all just depends on what he wants to do. Because he's not signed with the Wings. He's not signed with the Red Wings. And he's, there's still some time to sign him. But it's just a matter of if Detroit wants to go through the trouble of bringing him, trying to get him over here from Russia. So that's Dmitry Pachelnikov. Let's get into some NHL news. And the first one is... Detroit and Columbus was officially confirmed for a 2025 Stadium Series game. And it's going to be at the, uh, the, uh, where Ohio State plays their football team. The Shoe, I think, is what it's called. I think. I don't know. I don't care about Ohio State. I'm a Michigan fan. Fuck Ohio State. Um, but yeah, this is fantastic because Detroit hasn't had a stadium game since 2014, I believe where they took on Chicago and that was one that was the most watched stadium series game in NHL history I believe if not one of the most um and that's great it's great for Detroit it's great for Columbus uh Columbus needs something to get them relevant again and this could do it so a lot of people have been talking about the jerseys and it was it's been thrown around a lot that they should go with a U of M versus Ohio State vibe but then you're basically just switching jersey colors essentially so it wouldn't look right um but Detroit has had a very good history with their stadium games and outdoor games and winter classics and whatnot you know the barber pole is one of my favorite in the history of the Red Wings um, and then, you know, the Centennial is fantastic. You know, Detroit, I think the only bad Detroit jersey, well, there's two, and it's their reverse retros. Um, they completely whiffed on the fucking mark for their first series of reverse retros, which was just white. Um, and then last season's was better, but it was still, like, you could easily mistake it for Chicago's. But... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they come up with, and I'm excited to watch an outdoor game uh, for Detroit. They definitely deserve it, uh, being one of the biggest fan bases and markets in the entire league. Uh, And on top of that, the Islanders are set to host the 2026 All-Star Game. You're probably wondering, what about the 2025 All-Star Game? Why has anybody done that? Well, you got the Four Nations Tournament coming up uh, next year, and that's what's replacing the All-Star Weekend. And so in 2026, we're going to get the Islanders hosting the All-Star Game, and it's interesting because this is also the year that it's predicted and reported that the NHL will be returning to the Olympics. So it's going to be interesting to see how they figure that out. Um, 
Because are they just literally going to do one, just the weekend for the All-Star game? Like, they're going to pause the league on the weekend for the All-Star game and then go into it so that way they, you know, they're not taking any more time than they need to away from the league um, for the Olympics because they're going to have to miss a week, shut, uh, stop the league for like a full week at least for the Olympics. So it's interesting to see there, but the Islanders are going to host 2026 All-Star Game. I know Detroit fans really want one, but it was rumored and reported that the two team, that two of the teams that are really fighting to get to host the All-Star Game in 2027 is Detroit and Edmonton. And I hope they swing Detroit's way. Like, I don't care about the All-Star Game at all, but Detroit deserves something like that. They were pretty much promised one. Uh, when Little Caesars or when the LCA was built, so yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out as well. Um, but speaking of the LCA, the PWHL is coming to Motown uh, on March sixteenth. Yeah, March sixteenth, the PWHA PWHL is going to be playing a game at Little Caesars Arena. It's going to be Boston versus Ottawa, and you cannot tell me that the PWHL people who are scheduling these games didn't know what they were doing. You're throwing a Boston and Ottawa team in a Detroit arena. Like, that's just insane, but I commend you for it. Um, and I will be at this game. I, Me, my dad, my brother-in-law, and sister are all going to be at this game and we're pumped for it because I've been watching a lot of the PW, not a lot of the PWHL. I fan, like when it first started, I was watching pretty much all the games, but as but I kind of petered off for a little bit, and then I went back to watching it like two or three days ago, and I'm excited for it because these girls are fucking vicious, and it is fantastic to watch. So I'm excited for that as well. Uh, and now something that's not hockey related, we got Detroit Tigers news because the. Spring training has started, if I remember correctly. Uh, spring training itself is starting up, and it is going to be fun to have baseball back. Uh, like, I've never been a ma- major baseball guy, and now with this podcast, obviously, i got to watch the games and stuff like that. But I've always been a Tigers guy. I've always, like, I'll tune in. I've tuned into a game here and there last season. But the problem with that was that they were really bad. Um... And this year is looking to be a bit different. I don't know how different, but their division is still incredibly fucking weak. So it's possible that they do something. Uh, they've made some moves. They acquired Blake Dickerson from the Padres for 500000 of international bonus pool money. I don't know if that moves the needle or not. I'm not familiar with his game or who he is or if he even exists. He could be fake for all I know. Um but their first game, spring training game, is going to be against the Yankees on the 24th of February, actually. This month uh, is going to be their first game. So this Saturday is going to be their first uh, spring training game. And then they've got like five more games after that. So it'll be fun to watch. Um, I don't know what their expectations are, really. I think their expectations for the most part, are going to be hanging in there with Minnesota, which isn't a high bar to set realistically, but I think they could do it. They've got some solid young guys that are coming up um, and have a lot of potential. And I think that with the Lions and the Red Wings playing better, Detroit in itself is becoming a more desirable place to play for players. So there is you know, always a chance of trades and free agent signings, stuff like that. Um, and, well, free agent signings not really anymore because spring training started up. But 
there is always the possibility for trades and whatnot. And, you know, with Detroit sports teams, be just two of Detroit sports teams becoming good again, there's uh, a lot of players from other leagues are going to want to start to come here and play for the city of Detroit. So that's really all I've got for Detroit Tigers news. There's not a lot for me to talk about because they've signed like 85 different guys to minor league contracts for spring training. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Detroit, how the Tigers do this season, how spring training, uh, comes up for them. And Detroit is going to be interesting to see how the playoff race climaxes. Um, because they've got at least two other teams on their ass right now that could legitimately overtake them. So it's it's going to be it's fun for Detroit sports. I say that at the end of every episode, but that's because it is fun for Detroit sports right now. And it's going to be fun to continue watching them in the future. Uh, so with that being said, I want to thank you guys all so much for tuning into this episode of the Red, Orange, Blue podcast. I am your host, as always. The Mexanadian, and I will see you guys in the next goddamn motherfucking episode. Take care, everybody. Adios. Welcome to my party. We're just getting started. A life is a dream or a nightmare star.